This is R.J. Allen, and you're listening to Rough Drafts. This is the podcast where you can get a sneak peek at early versions of my novels before they're published. For more information, go to our website at rjallen.com. That's R-J-A-L-A-N dot com. Season 1, Episode 12, The Seekers Series, Chapter 7, Part 1. As the sun broke the horizon, Leif was cycling his two-mile commute to the mill. He passed other men and women, the wealthy on bikes, but the average person walking. He'd started working with Dad young, even before the bad times had begun. Back then, secular public schools were still in operation. But after schools, on weekends, and on summer holidays, he'd helped Dad. By age 14, he was a journeyman woodworker and often exceeded the skills of grown men in his drive to excel and to earn Dad's approval. Work started at seven sharp, and judging by the angle of the sun, he'd be late again. At one time, he had bounced out of bed, arriving at the office eager and early. Now, he dreaded mornings. But in this world, he was lucky to have the position. Few got a job of their choice and not a committee-mandated work assignment. All was owned by the collective, and all was decided from on high for the greater good. Leif guided his bike into the rack and clicked the locks in place, securing the invaluable transport. He then untied his backpack from the rear rack and shouldered it, heavy with drawings and work orders. For years, he'd taken projects home in hope that a burst of extra effort could help him get caught up on the backlog. He had promised Diana it was a temporary necessity. Now, it was a perpetual and inescapable necessity. As he passed through the office, he waved hellos to early arrivals. He entered his office and sat the briefcase on the low desk next to his drafting table, then slid out last night's work. The draftsman would take his original drawings to trace and copy for the shop and for outside vendors. It wasn't just the big machines in the shop that would roar to life should the committee bless them with electricity. Drafting, job tracking, accounting, communication, and other functions would also soar to new productivity levels. But short of highly placed allies in capital, the denied answer would never change. As Leif carried a stack of paperwork upstairs, he passed Dad's office, waving a quick hello. Dad looked up, checked his watch, and twisted his lips in a disapproving frown. He bent his head back to his work. That wordless rebuff bit hard, and Leif stayed in the doorway, waiting to be acknowledged, waiting for his dad to soften, to look up again, this time with a smile. 
But eventually he gave up and walked on, head down, now wearing a matching frown. Maripol marched through the main doors of the Two Rivers Bureau of Peace headquarters. The guard at the security station looked up at his approach. His manner bored and officious until he spotted Maripol. And then, eyes widening and nearly tripping over his feet, he rushed to unlatch the inner door, where he escorted Maripol through, body rigid and movements jerky. Maripol never broke stride, not taking conscious notice of the man or of the barrier that so nearly stopped his forward motion. His attention was consumed by the problem he had been analyzing, over and over again, from every conceivable angle, all these many days. What was he missing? There had to be a clue he had overlooked, a witness he had failed to interrogate with a necessary ruthlessness, a string somewhere he had failed to pull. One thing he was certain of, the slippery priest had not stayed on the train. He couldn't prove where the man had gone, as the security cameras at the terminal provided inadequate coverage beyond the terminal. Plus, only one train departed that night, the spur line to Northwoods. Watchers had ridden it, surveilling all passenger and freight movements. Watchers also remained at Northwoods, but no sign of the priest there either, so where could he be? He breathed deeply, in and out, slowed the torrent of undirected memory, and took an imaginary step backward. He shook his head, Time to work the investigation through a second time, starting at the beginning. Maripol would find that missing string, and he would pull on it hard. He would find the traitor. Failure in his business was never a forgivable offense. He entered the closed office at the end of the hall without knocking. The burly, mustachioed man behind the desk glanced up in obvious irritation, quickly replaced with an obsequious welcome. Maripol simply nodded and sat in an ancient wheeled wooden armchair, the swivel joints so loose that he perched on the edge, his feet on the floor, ready for it to betray him at any moment. The chair matched well the decor of this decrepit office with its streaked and stained mint green wall paint, dark olive painted woodwork, and frosted wire glass windows. No wonder the bureau men here seemed so demoralized, living in this sooty, sewage lagoon of a city, living out pointless lives in this soul-leeching building. He laced fingers under his chin, studying Chief Colley. The man and his local goons had served their purpose. He needed a more sophisticated approach. The Order has appreciated your assistance. He held up a palm to stop Colley's stammered response. I've read your report. You are correct. 
We've done all that can be done here, and I understand your forces are already overburdened. We need not continue to overload them with this affair. Collie's face crept into a glad, open-mouthed smile before he caught himself and snapped his back straight and gave a sober nod. As always, the Bureau is always at your service, but yes, you're absolutely correct. My men have a full slate here. Much to do. Quite too much. Maripol held up a finger. I would, however, request your men keep an eye open for our target, should he stick his head out of cover again. Yeah, yeah, of course. Collie rubbed his hands together then gripped his armrests and shoved himself from his chair, almost laughing, and strode to his door to open it for Maripol. Anything for the order. What an idiot. The man was giddy with relief. Well, so be it. Better to leave the locals feeling cooperative. Right then. Maripol stood and arranged his robes. I'll be in contact should we need anything else from your command. And thank you again for your invaluable aid. It will not go unnoticed. He spun and strode down the corridor. An operative shadowed him out of the bureau. Once certain he wouldn't be overheard, he motioned the man to his side and bent his head to the operative's ear.